0: Man, I got to tell you that if that's all you want is to know his heart, you're going to get it. There's a lot of things in life that you want that you can't get, a lot of things in life that you want that you get that you don't want once you got it, right? But I'll tell you what, if all you want is to know his heart, you're going to get it and you're going to love it and it's going to be wonderful. You know, I really appreciate the rain we've been having recently. Uh, My grass looks a little bit better. Uh, I I try to help my grass on my own with my sprinkler, but that's always slightly ineffective. And and I was thinking this week, as I looked at my grass this morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning when I was out there with my dog, and go, man, it's looking pretty good. And, And it was like, yeah, because the water came down and made it green. And God says, my word in Isaiah, right? It's like Rain coming down from heaven, right? You may be trying to do things on your own, but I'm here to tell you that if you allow God's word to fall on you, right, it it will refresh you, right, and it will make things green that you thought maybe at one time looked like they were pretty much dead, amen? 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote the following words to the Jesus followers in Ephesus, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Understand, every Jesus follower in this Jesus gathering has a calling. Turn to the person to your right and left to tell them you have a calling. You, You don't need to wait for it. You don't have to pray for it. You already have this calling that you receive from God. And how do we answer that calling? Well, part of it is... In the next verses, here's a calling. Here's living your life worthy of calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as we were called to one hope when we were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Welcome to week six of the Summer of One. An 11-week series where we're unpacking several of the, the one another commandments that we find in the New Testament. Commandments that if we obey them, if we live them out... It will help us love one another in ways that will bring this Jesus gathering to complete unity, bring us the oneness so that the world will know that Jesus is the real deal and the world will know that we really are his disciples. And so the question that I think God is asking every one of us this morning in this Jesus gathering on July the 30th, 2017 is this, who are you one anothering? Who are you one anothering? Now, so far, we've looked at serve one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, and encourage one another. I think we all would agree those are good things. I I think we all would agree that actually living those out would make Maple Grove a very appealing and compelling church to be a part of. And and so what I want to ask you guys to do, you see on your outlines, it'll pop up on the screen, is to give yourself a progress report. Um, and, and maybe this is God giving you the grade, right? On, on, on how you're doing the one another in, in this Jesus gathering. And serve one another. You know, uh, zero being you're cold as ice, man. You, know, you wouldn't serve one another, anybody in this Jesus gathering if your life depended on you. Been there, done that, done your time, you're not serving anybody. Five would be on fire, burning hot. You don't have to do it on your notes. Don't peek at your neighbor. <laughs> you know, what, what grade would you give yourself? What grade would you like to have? Anybody say, I'd like to have a two or one. How about forgive one another in this Jesus gathering? Is there someone you need to forgive? There's someone you need to seek forgiveness from? How, how are you doing? Remember, this is your progress report. Quit looking at your neighbor. I know you want to grade your neighbor, right? You know, it, it's not for that. Uh, carrying one another's burdens. Are there any, are there any burdens in this room? any hurt, any sorrow, any that you know about, but you're just too busy because you got your own things you want to do, what would you give yourself on carrying the burdens in this Jesus gathering? And how about encouraging one another? How are you doing with that? Are you encouraging people? You know, we have the back wall is our encourage one another wall. And I kind of want to encourage you every week to fill one of these out and When you walk in during our response time after church, and the way it works is, you know, there's a sticky part to this note, okay? On the non-sticky part, you write the person's name, okay? And then you write your note on the sticky part, whereby you put it up and it becomes just their note, right? You're not writing this to the whole church, right? You're not telling the whole church how great I am, right? You just want to tell me how great I am, right? Okay? and, and, and I, Because if it's personal, right, you may sign it. You may say more things about it. It's, people aren't going to judge it. Well, if they really knew so-and-so, you know, they wouldn't even be encouraging them right now. Okay? So you write their name on the non-sticky side, and you write the note, right? And if you have a note with your name on it, just pick it up and take it home. And the goal is every week, you know, every week, look for someone to encourage. Especially the under-encouraged, you know? You know, if the Holy Spirit's like, walk in here on Sunday... And rather thinking about yourself, say, God, is there someone you would like me to encourage today with a simple handwritten note? And you wait, and the Holy Spirit brings somebody to your mind. You know, uh, Henry Garrison and I had the same person. I I went out and I encouraged some people, hey, I encourage you while we're waiting for church to start to write an encouragement note. And Henry walks up and he goes, you're writing a note to that person? I was too. I go, well, write it anyhow, right? The Holy Spirit led you to write a note, write that note. You know, you you can't, we cannot over-encourage, and now that you know these things... John thirteen seventeen, that you must serve one another, forgive one another, carry one another's burdens, and encourage one another. You'll be blessed. Anybody want God to bless them? All right, you're looking for a way. God, how will you bless me, God? God, so here, here's how I'll bless you if you do these things. Now I'm going to pray us into the study, and, and I just want to warn you, uh, this study will the day will stretch you and challenge you. You know, um, it stretched and challenged me this week. It could maybe irritate you a little bit, and that's okay. Uh, Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray your word rains down today. Father, may we be a church that loves one another, that serves one another, that encourages one another, that carries the burdens of one another, and that forgives one another. And Father, I pray that you would guide our conversation today. God, I, I pray that we'll each allow you to speak to us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Every sailor could agree on one fact. Had it not been for the captain, they never would have survived. The storm came suddenly out of nowhere. In a matter of moments, halls were broken, decks were awash, and sailors were floundering. But as quickly as the storm arose, so came the captain, maneuvering his large ship between the waves and rescuing one sailor after another. Before they knew it, they were deposited onto an island, listening to the instructions of the captain who said, there are still more at sea. You stay here until I return and build a tall fire using the trees of the island to keep yourself warm and to be a beacon for those who still need safety. of course the sailors were were happy and quick to oblige and they set about the task of building a large fire, then they waited, and he waited, and they waited. And the longer they waited, the more their gratitude passed. Their thankfulness turned into restlessness, and their appreciation for the captain mutated into aggravation with each other. Uh, No one could remember exactly when the argument started, but it had something to do with the captain's instructions. Did he say to use only trees for the fire, or mostly trees for the fire? As they began to discuss it, they couldn't agree. Some said, surely he meant trees only. He said, build a fire made of trees. Others said a a little brush and some grass and leaves won't hurt. He'll understand. Mostly trees won't hurt. Conversations led to opinion. Opinion led to discussion. Discussion led to dispute. Dispute led to debate. And soon debate led to division. And there were two fires on the island. There was the trees only fire and the trees mostly fire. And so peace returned to the island for a short time until dispute broke out in the trees only camp. One day in a conversation, someone said, I'm sure he wants us to use cypress trees only for this fire because when he told us to use trees, he gestured toward the cypress trees. Another said, yeah, but when he said that, he was standing right next to an elm tree. So surely he meant it's elm trees only. Another said, the the predominant trees on this island are oak trees. So surely these fires should be made of oak trees. Conversation led to opinion, opinion led to discussion, discussion led to dispute, and dispute led to division. Soon, the fire's only camp splintered into three other camps, elm only, cypress only, and oak only. And things didn't go much better on the southern end of the island, where the tree's mostly camp was. Uh, They didn't struggle over the contest of the fire, but they had conversations about the height of the fire. The captain left instructions to build a tall fire. Well, how tall is tall? One person's definition of tall might not be the same. So in short order, new fires were started, each of differing heights. In time, the island was freckled with small fires rather than one large fire. And the captain, who was watching from the ocean, shook his head, and he sighed. And brothers and sisters, if this wasn't true, the story would be bizarre, right? Right? one need only spend a little bit of time in the Christian faith before he notices that there are a lot of fires on this island. Now, some of the fires are necessary and good because to reach the lost world, you have to go out into the world. Sending sailors to start new fires in areas where there are no fires is right and good, but some fires are not there by purpose and intention. They're there as a result of division. And understand, it, it it's not a new problem. I mean, even... Before the crucifixion, Jesus' disciples were arguing about who was in and who was out. You see, our tendency to cluster and our proclivity to divide can be costly. Listen, listen. Disunity distracts the believer and discourages the seeker. See, our job is simple. We we are to build a fire. A fire so high that anyone can see it. A fire so strong and warm that anyone cold can be comforted by it. But when we argue over the nature and the content and the height of the fire, we get distracted. Get it? Good. Yes, this unity distracts a believer and also discourages the seeker. I mean, who wants to come out of a stormy sea and step into conflict on the island. But most of all, disunity discredits our Savior. Disunity discredits our Savior because unity was his idea. The night before his death, he prayed, Father, I pray that they may be one as you're in me and I'm in you. I pray they can be one in us. Then the world will believe that you sent me. Question, when will the world believe that Jesus was sent by God to the earth when we When we have better evangelism strategies, build nicer buildings, preach better sermons, have greater worship? No. The world will believe that Jesus is the one when we learn to work and act as one. The world will believe that he is the one when we learn to work and act as one. Let's repeat that together on three. One, two, three. The world will believe that He is the one when we learn to work and act as one. Get it? Good. I I mean, seriously, if we are called to be dispensers of God's grace and love, cannot find a way to love each other, do you really think anyone still in the stormy sea wants to have anything to do with what we have? You know, I wonder how many Christians in our world have walked past the faith, have walked past the Christ, have stayed in the stormy sea because... They said, hey, if these people can't love each other, then I am not going to trust the love, this love that they are proclaiming. Guys, the stakes cannot get any higher. For that reason, the apostle Paul urges us to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And Paul uses a Greek term there that's hard to replicate in the English that means make every effort, keep on making every effort, never stop making effort. In other words, the garden of unity must be tended constantly. Now understand, you, you, you don't plant seeds of unity and then walk away from it thinking it will be fine, green, alive, and grow all on its own. No, it must be tended constantly. And Paul gives a prescription for this in Romans 5, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you. And listen, the context of that verse is important. You see, Romans 15:7 is the exclamation point on, on th- the last 33 verses in which Paul has appealed for unity in the church in Rome, beginning with Romans 14:1 by saying, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. You see, there was arguing going on in the church in Rome. And according to Romans 14:2 and Romans 14:5, there were arguing over diets and days see one person thought it was right okay to eat anything you wanted so other people thought you know what we should only be eating vegetables and some people thought all days were the same and some thought you know what no there are certain special days that we should honor you see instead of having trees only and trees mostly people they had days only and diets only people we need to understand that the church in Rome was composed of two cultures. You have the Gentile culture, the Greek culture, and you had the Jewish culture. And the Jewish Christians brought with them 2,000 years of heritage. And part and partial of that heritage were, was food and festivals. There were certain foods that they could eat and some they couldn't eat. And there were certain days that they were to set aside as special. And to the Gentiles, these things were a bit odd, if not unnecessary, and foolish. So you can see how this kind of thinking is fertile soil to great problems, to grow division, and threaten the unity of the church. Bottom line, opinions become discussion. Discussion becomes dispute. And dispute, unless something happens, will become division. And Rome will have two churches. Rome will have two fires. Therefore, Paul says, beginning in... In Romans 14, one, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And then his exclamation point again is accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now in that discussion, not only do we have a powerful statement, hey, don't argue, but we have the acknowledgement that in the Lord's church there are and will be matters of opinion, matters of preference. And that's important for us to understand. (laughs) if we want to have unity, right? Because all of us come from all kinds of different backgrounds, right? You know, we all come from different families of origin. We've had different life experiences. Understand, there are matters of doctrine and matters of opinion. There are matters of truth and matters of preference. You, you see, the Bible, it's not flat landscape. where Everything's of equal importance. Beneath the cross are issues of varying degrees of importance. There, there are... Hugely important things, like Jesus is the Son of the living God, and Jesus died and buried and rose again from the dead, and that we can have salvation in him only. Important stuff. And then there's other stuff that's not so important, like what you eat and setting aside special days. So this morning, our focus is going to be in the biblical command to accept one another. Now, initially, I was just going to look at Romans 15:7 because it's kind of easier, right? But I decided, no, I need to expand it to all of chapter 14 through chapter 7. And I encourage you, if you have a Bible or your Bible, you know, turn there. We'll be camping out there. And in these verses, we're going we're to see in these verses seven principles that will help us to live out God's command to accept one another. Now, now a few things keep in mind as we before we launch into this. Number one, this command to accept one another is about acceptance among Jesus' followers in the church. And yes, we want Maple Grove to be the kind of church where those who are still lost in a stormy sea feel both welcomed and accepted and loved and cared for, but Paul's not talking about accepting them here. You see, this one another, like every one another, is dealing with how we treat each other in the church. It's about oneness in the church. Number two, if something is wrong in God's Word, we are commanded to judge such things in the church. But if it's based on opinions and preferences, we're commanded not to judge. Unfortunately, I think more people divide today in churches over opinions and preference than over doctrine and truth. Number three, a, a weak believer is the one who hasn't fully grasped the extent of his freedom in Christ and whose conscience is thereby bothered by lifestyle choices and preferences that don't really matter in the long run. Number four, a strong believer is the one who can exercise his freedom in Christ with a clear conscience. And number five, anybody who understands the principle of the weaker brother is no longer the weaker brother. You can't say, well, you have to do what I want because... I'm the weaker brother, and it offends me. Well, you understand the principle. Guess what? You're no longer the weaker brother. Let's do this. Principle number one, do not judge others based on personal opinions. You see, the weak Christians, those who clung to the law, were condemning the strong believers, those who enjoyed their freedom. And the strong Christians were despising the weaker ones. So Paul tells both groups, chill out, stop judging each other, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. And the word accept means to take to oneself, to receive joyfully, positively, kindly, to welcome into one's heart in the spirit of affection and true fellowship. So Paul is addressing the strong believers and he tells them, avoid judging those who are not as mature in their understanding about God making all foods clean. See, the bottom line is, is we're not only to allow others the freedom to hold their opinions, that are different than ours, but we are to accept them joyfully, kindly, positively, in spite of those differences. And listen, the key to understanding this discussion of Paul's is the phrase, disputable matters. That this word means a thought or an opinion. It's those gray areas of the Christian faith. You see, there's really three categories in God's word. Things that are wrong, things that are right, and issues of freedom and Preference. And listen, unless God regulated it, spoke about it, commanded it, we cannot control or judge it in the life of another believer. If God has not regulated it, spoken against it, commanded it, we cannot control it or judge it in the life of another believer. Get it? Good. Look at verse 2. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man's faith is weak, eats only vegetables. Again, probably from the Gentiles who got saved and thinks he can eat anything he wants while the Jewish convert has been raised on the Old Testament dietary laws and he wants to avoid any possibility of dishonoring God by eating some food that may have been sacrificed to an idol and therefore is not kosher. Now verse three helps us to see that the real problem has nothing to do with food. Instead, it's an acceptance issue. Look at the next verse. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. You know, Paul say, you're both messing up. What's going on is, those who loved eating pork chops were looking down on the ones who wouldn't eat a pork chop. And the veggie-only people were condemning the meat eaters. They're both building fires. And the phrase, look down on, is a strong phrase. It means to utterly despise and regard as nothing. Have you ever looked down on someone because they didn't have the same opinion as yours about something? And the word "condemn" refers to the punishment reserved for those who have broken God's law. Listen, when we condemn, we make assumptions that are exaggerated, are erroneous, and even damaging to a person's character. Well, they're just not as spiritual as I am. They're just not as good as Christians. They don't love God as much as me. They may not even be a Christian. They're just sinners all because we disagree on matters of opinion. Okay, here's the bottom line. Both groups are threatening the unity of the church because they've taken a disputable matter and they turned it into a moral and spiritual issue. And they're either condemning or despising each other rather than accepting each other joyfully, positively, and kindly. And notice the key phrase in the end of verse three, for God has accepted him. Uh, don't judge people's opinions because God is accepted. Accepted who? Both the meat eater and the non-meat eater. You see, there's grace in the gray areas, amen? I mean, don't you love God's grace? Man, I sure do. And I think you and I need to, need to do more than love it. <laughs> uh, we need to give it. We need to show it. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, that's pretty easy for us to do when it comes to food, right? Because that's far removed from our culture. So what I want to do right now, is bring this a little closer to home so that we really can become a church who accepts one another and avoids passing judgments in disputable matters. You know those matters of opinion preference that we face in the church today? And you know why this is so important? Here's what I posted on my Facebook on on yesterday morning. Uh, Much of the disunity, division, and chaos in the church today is due to preferential confusion. It has nothing to do with the Bible at all. Hashtag accept one another. Hashtag December 1. Hashtag Romans 1415 and 15. Hashtag disunity leads to people remaining in the lost sea. Hashtag are we having fun yet? And here's a partial list I came up with the help of my Facebook family of Disputable Matters of matters of opinion and preference that believers disagree on and sometimes disagree unchristianly, if that's a word, on today. Now, some of these topics are non-starters for you. You're like, eh, I don't care. And some, to be honest, may get your heart racing a little because you hold strongly to your opinion. Nevertheless, the principle still stands that we're called to accept one another, to respect one another's freedom and matters of opinion, and welcome them joyfully, positively, and kindly whenever we disagree on disputable matters. And here's a deal. Anytime that we're tempting to bind another believer to our understanding, to our opinion, we better be able to point to a Scripture, book, chapter, and verse, right, to support our position. Okay, brace yourself. Here's a list of some things that are disputable matters in the church today. Matters of opinion and preference that... Often lead to conversations conversations that lead to discussions discussions that lead to disputes disputes that lead to debate debates that lead to division that lead to fires here we go matter of opinion worship style that's a matter of opinion do you have drums do you have hymns only matter of opinion politics matter of opinion oh my gosh you know are, are we showing our ugliness as Christians with political post today, right, on Facebook, oh my goodness. Well, how can You can't be a Christian if you're a Republican. You can't be a Christian if you're a Democrat. Anybody that voted for him is not a Jesus follower. Anybody that did vote for him is not a Jesus follower. It's a matter of opinion. Parenting. How about schooling of our kids? Should it be homeschool, public school, or Christian school, right? Matter of opinion. Secular music, should you listen to it or not listen to it? Obviously, we're not free to listen to music that's vulgar and and, and says terrible, hateful things, but how about not working on Sunday? How about you have to dress a certain way to go to church to show God respect, right? Scripture just says, dress modestly, right? You know, dress modestly. How about buying lottery tickets, smoking, or tattoos, right? There's no, nothing in the New Testament that talks about those things. How about going to the movies? How about watching movies like The Shack, Right? I watched A Shack and cried the other week, with, uh, this week, with my son Gentile, and it's amazing how many people go, well, you know, it's not theologically right. It's showing a human. You know what? It's a movie. And if you don't want to watch it, that's cool. <laughs> I, 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 I found the concept of forgiveness and redemption that God wants in relation to everybody to be very refreshing, right? But it's an opinion. Watching TV, celebrating Christmas. We don't know when his birthday was. How about Halloween? Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you how, how many years I condemned Christians for celebrating Halloween. When Halloween came around, I always do a lesson. It's satanic, satanic origins. You know, how, how can you do these things? Our Bible college was going to have a pumping carving, you know, competition when I was in college. Guess who stopped it? You mean we're going to put evil lanterns in the windows? And people drive by and see that? And I stopped it. What a stinking idiot. wearing a makeup, drinking. You're not free to get drunk. But the Bible does not say you cannot drink wine at all. Dancing, right? You know, now, you're not free to dance immorally, right? There's some dancing that is not godly, you know, but there's some that's okay. And I think people like me who have no rhythm condemn dancing just because I can't do it, right? I mean, I got no rhythm. How about cats? Right <laughs> Matter of opinion. It's country music music? Matter of opinion. Believe it or not, there's actually debates about who's the best football team in the National Football League. I don't know why there's a debate. <laughs> Understand, we don't have to like it, look like it, or listen to it, but we cannot judge, despise, look down, and condemn others who see things differently than we do on disputable matters, or matters of opinion. Now, one of the slogans of the restoration movement that this church is a part of that started in the late 1800s, I think is very helpful. You know what the slogan they embraced was? In essentials, unity. There's some things you die on the hill for. Jesus is God's son. The Bible is God's word. I'm going to die on the hill for that, you know, you know. In matters of opinion, what? Freedom. Freedom. You like hymns? I like this. You like that? You like dogs? I like cats. Hey, it's all good. You like UVA, you like Virginia Tech, it's all good. You don't like the Patriots, I'll pray for you, right? (laughs) And in all things what? All things love. All things love. I mean, have your opinions. Have your preferences. It's okay. It's okay to have an opinion. But you can't try to bind another believer to your opinion and say if they don't follow what you think, they're sinning. Number one, do not judge others based on personal opinions. Number two, remember there's only one Lord and you are not him. Who are you to judge another servant to their own master servant stand or fall and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Who are you to judge someone else's servant in an area of opinion to their own master servant stand or fall and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Listen, brothers and sisters, if God condemns it, it's off limits. If God condones it, it's okay, go for it. And if God is silent, it's up to you, follow your conscience. Paul continues, one person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. See, we can have our personal opinions, but we should think about it, right? Think it through. I mean, does our opinion make sense? Does it, does it line up with the evidence? Then the next four verses, Paul makes it very Clear that regardless of the side we land on on any opinion, eating in special days, etc., our focus needs to be on the Lord. In four verses, he mentions the Lord ten times. Whoever guards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meals does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord. And give thanks to God. And by the way, that's a very good test to see if your opinion is good, right? If it's valid. Hey, can you give thanks to God for it? Can you give thanks to God while you're doing it? And can you give thanks to God by the way you're holding on to that opinion, right? For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned so that so that we might be the Lord of both, so that he might be both the Lord of the living and the dead. See, our focus in eating and drinking and thanking God and living and dying is to be on the Lord. Paul gives another very good reason not to judge or look down on others, for we all will stand before God's judgment seat. You see, when we evaluate, when we evaluate another on a disputable manner, dismissing them or condemning them, we place our position we place ourselves in the position of the judge of that person. In other words, we're, we're, we're usurping God's role. We're taking God's seat. Don't try that in a courtroom, right? <laughs> you walk in the courtroom, hey, you know what? That, that, that looks more comfortable than this bench right here. I think I'll go sit up there. The phrase judgment seat comes from the place where judges sat at athletic contest. Those who broke the rules were disqualified, and the winner was given rewards. The only one allowed to sit in that elevated seat was God here's the deal, one day you and I will stand before God, and only he's able to judge the thoughts, intentions, and actions of every person. And yet, last time I checked, God did not need my help or your help in judging. Well, I'm really confused here, could you like help me out? The message translated this way, eventually we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in a place of facing, eventually we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in a place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position one bit. Woo! Have you never noticed that, that almost without exception, the people who are the greatest, who have the greatest number of faults are themselves the most merciless in their criticism of others? I heard about a small community in Connecticut that signed a petition against reckless driving in their community and fifty. Three people signed it. Once they signed it, the police set up spots to catch people driving recklessly. They stopped five people. All five of them had signed the petition. <laughs> we like to focus on what other people are doing, right? That's what Peter did, right? I mean, Jesus graciously restores Peter and tells Peter, by the way, Peter, you're going to die. It's <laughs> yeah, not going to be fun. They're going to take you right on you, are going to die. Immediately, what does he do? Hey, what about John? <laughs> you know, If I'm going to die, I want him to die too, <laughs> He says, if I wouldn't reign until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You know what well, we 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 would be much so better, we would be so much better off. I know I would, and I know you would too, if we spent more time and energy making sure that the Lord is number one in our life, and less time and energy worrying about what other people are doing or not doing. Amen? See, the real question is not what other people are doing, the real question is this for us to ask ourselves am I in a right relationship with God and am I following the Lord faithfully? And you, you know where the expression mind your own beeswax comes from? Around the time of the American Revolution, women would spread beeswax on their face to smooth out their complexion. And when another woman began to stare at her, she would say, hey, mind your own beeswax. And, 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 and when they would smile, the beeswax would crack. Therefore, you got the expression, cracking beeswax. A smile. And when they got close to a fire, the wax would start to melt, and we got the expression, losing face. Seriously. Maple Grove, let's be a Jesus following that minds our own beeswax, cracks a smile, before we lose face with one another. Do not judge others based on personal opinions. Remember, there's only one Lord, and you're not him. Always ensure that you're ruled by love. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. An obstacle is something that can have a detrimental effect in someone else's life. But but note, you can only put an obstacle in my path if you put it where I am. Understand, Paul is not saying to the stronger believer, you must give up your freedom and never eat a pork chop again. No. No. You know what he's saying is, hey, you know, when you invite a veggie-only believer into your house, don't sit right in front of him and eat a juicy pork chop. Instead, only cook veggie burgers. And then when it's just you and your family, eat all the pork chops you want, giving thanks to God for the pig who gave his life. Are you tracking with me? His commentary in Romans, Dr. Jack Cottrell writes the following, it's important that we understand that the stumble to which Paul refers is not just becoming offended or having one's feelings wounded it refers to spiritual harm, a true sense of spiritual downfall. He continues, the point is that we must be sensitive to how our conduct is affecting others, and we must be willing to forego perfectly legitimate behaviors in their presence if it has the potential of causing someone to sin against their conscience. Paul continues, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. Pork chops are awesome. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. If your brother's distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother from Christ's side. And the word distress is the idea of grieving like you lost a loved one. Bottom line, we're out of bounds and not acting in love when we use our freedom in such a way in front of a believer that it becomes a stumbling block and causes him to say, you know what? D- dude, give me one of those pork chops. They look so good. And he sins because he violates his conscience. You see, it's kind of crazy, but, you know, I can eat a pork chop. If I think it's okay to eat pork chops. I can eat it. And I'm not sinning. If you think it's wrong to eat it and you eat it, guess what? You're sinning. We did the same thing. Right? See, our conscience is, you know, is, is not always right, but it's always wrong to violate it. Get it? Always wrong to violate it. Understand, when it comes to disputable matters, when it comes to opinions and your preferences, ensure you're always ruled by love. And listen, passing judgment, looking down on, condemning, making fun of, talking about them, behind their backs or to their face, putting stumbling blocks in front of them is a sure sign that we are not being ruled by love. Do not judge other people based on opinions. Remember, there's only one Lord, and you're not him. Sure, you're always ruled by love. And number four, pursue the right things. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about pork chops, it's not about vegetables, it's not about worship styles, it's not about your preference in this area or that area. It's not about these trivial things, but of what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. See, the kingdom of God equals the reign or rule of God in our heart. In the New Testament areas, that's the church, Question, when outsiders observe God's church, what characteristics should they immediately see as a demonstration of God's reign and rule on the earth? What is the primary evidence that God is truly reigning in the heart of the Christian and in the midst of his church? I mean, what can a Christian do to show the world what the kingdom of God is all about? And you know what? It's no wonder that so many people have nothing good to say about Christians in the church, but when they see us fighting and hating and slandering and gossiping over eating and drinking, over dancing and politics, over worship styles and smoking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They just watch and think, you guys are just so messed up. I mean, seriously, our rules about external things like food and drink, are they the essence of the kingdom of God? Does true Christianity consist in you and I getting our own way in matters of opinion and preference? Is is, is that who we're to be? Is that what we're to be about? Paul says, no. The kingdom of God is not about those ultimately unimportant things, but rather it's about righteousness and peace and joy. It's about pursuing the right things, and he tells us there's right things. Stick with me. So then we pursue things which make for peace and building up one another. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each should please our neighbors for their good to build them up, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Brother Sister, we're not to pursue our own way in disputable matters. Instead, we're to pursue things like, we're to pursue things that make for peace. We're to pursue things that build others up. We're to pursue pleasing our neighbor for their good. We're to pursue things that bring praise and bring glory to God. Amen? And the final principle that will help us obey the command to accept one another is both embrace and live from your acceptance. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. In order to bring praise from God. If you're taking notes, circle, Christ accepted you. See, I, I, I'm convinced that some of you in this room have a difficult time accepting others because you don't really accept yourself. You feel that you're just so unworthy because of things that you've done or things that you've left undone. Maybe you feel like you can never be forgiven after what you've done. If God only knew, God knows. <laughs> And perhaps you've been trying to follow a list of do's and don'ts in order to be accepted by God and you just giving up because you always fall short. Christ accepted you. And I want to encourage everybody in this room that has surrendered to Jesus to accept your acceptance. And I want to close with a quote from an awesome book called The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning. Lean in. Grace strikes us when we're in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when year after year the long for perfection does not appear. When the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades. When despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes at that moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness, and it is as though a voice were saying, you are accepted. You are accepted. Accepted by that which is greater than you. Don't try to do anything now. Perhaps you will do much later. Don't seek anything now. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. If that happens, we experience grace. And grace calls out, you are not just a disillusioned old man who may die soon. A middle-aged woman stuck in a job and desperately wanting to get out. A young person feeling the fire in the belly begin to grow old. You may be insecure, inadequate, mistaking, or pot-bellied. How do you know me so well? <laughs> Death, panic, depression, and disillusionment may be near you, but you are not just that, you are accepted. Never confuse your perception of yourself with the mystery that you are really accepted. Paul writes, the Lord said, my grace is enough for you. My power is at best, works best in weakness, so I shall be very happy to make my weakness my special boast, so the power of Christ may be over me. Whatever our failings may be, we need not lower our eyes in the presence of Jesus, Unlike Quasimodo, the hunchback of the Notre, Notre Dame, we need not hide all that is ugly and repulsive in us. Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and weak need who know they don't have it together, that are not too proud to accept the handout of grace. And as we glance up, we're astonished to find the eyes of Jesus open with wonder, deep with understanding, and gentle with compassion. Brothers and sisters, accept your acceptance. Do not judge others based on personal opinion. Remember, there's only one Lord, and you're not him. Always ensure that you are being ruled by love. Pursue the the right things. Accept your acceptance. See, as Jesus' follower, our calling in his church is not to be constantly critical, critiquing, and criticizing each other. That's not our calling. Our calling is to accept one another. And listen, when we do that, when we learn to do that better, there will be less fires, less small fires, and one much larger fire, and those still lost in that stormy sea will see it, And those of us who gather around it will be warmed by its embrace. Would you stand and pray with me? Jesus, what an honor and privilege to be in your presence right now, to know that we are accepted. And God, we don't do so good at that. And God, I pray your spirit will move and that we'll no longer quarrel over disputable matters, but we'll accept each other, Lord. Help us to stop judging. Help us to be ruled by love. And help us to pursue the right things and to embrace your acceptance. And Father, I just pray for every Jesus follower right now, God, as we sing about your grace, that they'll just feel they're accepted. They'll have to do anything, plan anything, promise anything. They're accepted in Christ. For anyone, Lord, who has not yet accepted him or is not sure how to, I pray they realize that they too can experience your acceptance. Not because of who they are, but because of who you are and what you did. In Jesus' name, amen.